I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swing and a high deep drive in the right field. That one stalled to the right. Hunter on the move. Racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a one-two pitch. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. Strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball deep in the left center field. Get out Way here. back it carries. That ball is gone. The Red Sox walk it off in style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out. The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by not only my uh, regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher, uh, but we have on Ralph Lifshitz of Prospects Live. He's one of the founders of Prospects Live over there. You can find him on Twitter at, at @prospectjesus. Ralph, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. Glad to be talking a little bit of Red Sox. It's uh, my hometown team. It's the team I came up uh, following the minor leagues as well. Growing up in Pawtucket, actually spent a little time as a bat boy in Pawtucket back in the early '90s. Uh, Valentin, Vaughn, Phil Plantier, one of my all-time favorite players, Scott Cooper, some other guys like that. So uh, this is near and dear to my heart. I've been following the system for a long time, and I'm sort of entrenched between a few affiliates. So uh, I see a lot of Red Sox minor leaguers. That's a pretty cool story. Did you uh, get get any interactions with with uh, Mo Vaughn over the yeah, years? Yeah, yeah. So the way it, it happened, they had a like a rotating group of uh, bat boys, and. Um, my father, growing up, was uh, an, inter- an attorney in the, the Taunton, uh, Massachusetts area, right over the border from Rhode Island, so about 15 minutes from McCoy. And uh, his partner um, was a baseball player, college baseball player that played on the Cape with a lot of these guys. Uh, a guy in particular that was from Bridgewater, Massachusetts, by the name of Mickey Pina, mm-hmm. who was a uh, made it up to AAA. Um, you know, was invited to the major league camp for a few years, and then sort of flamed out. And uh, in the off season, Mickey worked at my parents' gym. And uh, I used to hang out and uh, play basketball on the courts when my parents were, were working out, and I would shoot hoops with Mickey, and uh, we kind of got friendly. And um, he, uh, you know, the, the, the bat boy thing came up, and he suggested it, and uh, I had an opportunity to do that. I even, I even threw out the first pitch one time uh, at McCoy Stadium to Eric Wedge, who was the catcher at the time, wow. who then became a, a manager. <laughs> so I've been to, I mean, like between probably like eight, and 17, I probably hit like 500, 600 AAA games and saw, you know, numerous players come up. I've, I saw Chipper Jones in the minor leagues. I saw Andrew Jones in the minor leagues. Um, I think I saw Frank Thomas, too. Any of the guys that came up, like, with the Blue Jays in, like, the early 90s. 
Um, and then Mo Vaughn. I mean, I have a ton of autograph stuff from from Mo. Um, he was pretty much like my hero. Him and then, like I said, Phil Plantier, who's a hitting coach for a few teams. I know he's been the Padres. He's been with the Cardinals. Um, but he uh, he kind of like was a guy that broke through a little bit uh, with the Sox in one year and then got traded to the Padres and had like a 40 home run year and then never really recaptured the magic and kind of bounced around. But he was like a monster in AAA. Um, and Scott Cooper, who uh, made an all-star team with the Cardinals at one point. Uh, John Valentin, of course, was on those teams. And then a bunch of other pitching prospects that eventually like flamed out guys like Jeff Plimpton. Mm. But um, yeah, so I got to, I got to interact with a lot of those guys. Rico Petroselli was one of the managers as well as Butch Hobson who coached the Red Sox for a little bit. So uh, yeah, it was cool. You know, got to play a lot of baseball and uh, just kind of be around the game in the park and kind of have a unique minor league experience. So that's uh, yeah, that's why, you know, I kind of have mixed feelings, even though I'm going to be much closer to uh, polar park when the Paw Sox move to Worcester, there's still sort of a part of me, uh, there in McCoy. Yeah, so you've got to be a little bit sad about the movie, even though it's probably going to benefit you right now. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think I'll probably have some emotions later on in, like, the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, like, <laughs> the amount of hours I spend driving to, like, the Cape during the summer, which is always an hour plus, sometimes more. I mean, I've made two-hour, like, one-way trips, four-hour round-trip trips to, like, Chatham for games. You know, the kids like Spencer Torkelson earlier in the season. So you're familiar um, with the Bourne Bridge? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the back roads, the fog, fog outs. Um, but like that, driving to Connecticut, which is a little bit over an hour. Hartford's a little bit over an hour for me. Lowell is, is the closest. That's a half hour. It's about 50 minutes to Manchester and then about 45 to Pawtucket to be able to have a really nice stadium 15 minutes from me. Um, that's going to be nice. So, yeah, I, you know, it's it's kind of mixed emotions. Like, I'm going to feel bad about it, but at the same time, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, cutting my driving down and my, my spend on gas substantially. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be going to be solid. So for all the Red Sox fans out there that are not familiar with Ralph's work, you got to check him out. Um, he's, you know, he's one of the guys that runs Prospects Live. They do great prospects lists. They're at the parks, as you can tell by, you know, everything Ralph just said, giving you the details about how far away all the parks are from him. Um, you know, he's he's an OG Red Sox fan, so we brought you on here uh, to uh, to talk about this system, and we're going to kick it off by uh, looking at some of the guys that the Red Sox just protected in the Rule 5 draft. So some of them were pretty predictable. Uh, we had been talking about this two weeks ago, um, but they predicted Bobby Dahlbeck, C.J. Chatham, Kyle Hart, Marcus Wilson, and Yoan Ibar to the 40-man. I think the biggest surprise out of those was probably the protection of Kyle Hart. But um, you want to kind of chat about those guys and anything that maybe surprised you about who they decided to protect? Yeah. um, You know, I think that um, the Hart thing I had kind of seen coming down. Uh, And I know that he's a guy that depending upon what ranks you read, like if you go and you check out Sox prospects who do, you know, incredible coverage of of the Red Sox system, they're lower on heart um, than I am. I had him 28, so I did have him in t- inside the top 30. I don't even think they have him inside the top 50. Um, to me, he's an interesting guy, uh, and I've seen him you know, a little bit this year between a couple of different levels. Um, he's an elite feel guy. You know, He's what people would call sort of a crafty lefty. Um, the fastball doesn't have much oomph on it. There's really low velocity. You know, We're talking you know, high 80s, low 90s you know, at, at peak. But he's got a slider and a cutter, and they're distinctly different in terms of shape. And he's a guy that can manipulate the feel and shape of each of those pitches depending upon, you know, whether it's a right-handed or a left-handed batter. Those guys can work. Now, I think it's a back end of the rotation and up and down what we would call like a roll 30 profile. I don't think he's a guy that's going to see, you know, 200 innings in the major leagues in any one given season. Um, but I do think there's some upside there that he could go on a run and be a valuable guy for a month or two as a fill-in starter, a long guy. Um, definitely not the kind of profile that's going to play up in relief, but I think he can can eat some innings at the back end of a rotation and maybe link on with a with a you know a, a second division sort of team and maybe be a back end starter there. But um, I'm a little bit optimistic just because of how good the feel and command of those two breaking pitches are. In this day and age, that works. Um, that's something that can translate. 
I know some people have thrown um, some sort of Patrick Corbin comps on there. The stuff isn't as good as Corbin, um, but I think that the point and the similarities sort of rely on that command of those secondaries. So a little bit of a surprise, but I think he's something that's needed because I, I think at this point um, – Hart's a guy more likely to to be a spot starter, uh, an emergency starter than probably Mike Schworn is. You know, Schworn's probably more more headed to the, the bullpen long term. Now, what does that say about um, the Red Sox starting pitching situation that they were protecting a guy like this to you? Yeah, I think at this level, you know, the upper levels of the minors just hasn't been good for a while. Uh, it's not good now. They certainly, based upon the last couple of drafts and some of the international signings and the way those players have sort of developed, um, I think there's some hope, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the lower levels. But, yeah, I think it, I think it speaks volumes, you know, about uh, sort of where they're at. And there's not a lot of depth. There's not a lot of guys that can even fill in a role. Um, there's nobody here that you'd say, yeah, that guy can be a regular number five starter, um, no questions asked. I think... I was maybe there on Schwarren last year, but he backed up a lot. Yeah, you probably don't want to see uh, Brian Johnson every five days, do you? No, at this at this <laughs> point, I think uh, I think you know Johnson's a guy that <laughs> I I hope they can find a better option than that. You know, yeah. um, that and that's no disrespect to his path, and you know he certainly had his struggles, and it's great to see him overcome him. He's a feel good story, but yeah, I, I'd much rather find them uh, someone with a little bit higher quality and stuff and ability uh, to fill that role going forward. Well, we need a first baseman, so maybe he can uh, pick up the wood again. <laughs> it's it's true. They got some first baseman, though. I think, you know, I think Dahlback can fit that role. I think, you know, Chavis can potentially fit that role, depending upon whether they want him to play second or not. Um, I think Dahlback is, is more than capable. I think that there's an outside shot now that he's in the 40-man, what his age is, and the fact that there's really not a whole lot he's going to gain I think from um, another two to three months in, in AAA, he could be in the mix at, at first base, especially considering he's versatile enough to, to fill a few different roles. Maybe he could play a little second, certainly he could play a little third, possibly even a little left field. All right, so now you've teased it. Keaton, get in there. He's talking about your boys right now, Dahlbeck yeah. and Chavis. You, you must be excited over there. I am extremely excited, and that was uh, – yeah, you guys kind of – went right in there on my first question which was going to be wasn't a surprise that Dahlbach got protected but what do you think his role is going to be uh but I'll pivot a little bit then sure and say knowing the Red Sox need for first baseman were you surprised at all that they didn't protect uh Josh Ockamy um you know unfortunately um um I'm not I I want to see uh Ock kill it and um you know I kind of included him at the end of my top 30 I don't know if he gets taken in the Rule 5, even though he's unprotected and he's certainly a guy that's at the cusp of the major league level. He is um, he's a platoon bat at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, he's pretty much righties only. He can't hit lefties worth a lick. He's extremely uh, three true outcomes, though he doesn't strike out as much as people think. Um, he's still, you know, overly passive at the plate uh, to a fault, which I think boosts some of his strikeouts, probably boosts some of his walks as well. There's some holes still in the swing, um, but man, you know if you if you get him a meatball, uh, you know particularly a fastball, he could turn in that thing and just mash. He hits he's hit some mammoth homers um, over the last few years, and you know this year in particular with the juice balls, I've seen him hit some shots, some shots like 450 feet, you know um, exit velocities of you know 106, 107, 108 uh, with consistency. But he rolls over on stuff a lot. There's a lot of ground balls. He's heavy pull side. So the batting average is always going to be like 220, 230. But I do think there is an outside shot still that Akami can fit in um, as a platoon, you know, against right-handed only uh, pitchers as a DH because he's not a great first baseman either. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not totally shocked just because of the kind of player that he is. Uh, unfortunately, I think that's just where we're at with Akami. Um and I don't know if he's an upgrade over, uh, you know, some of the guys that they could potentially throw out there. And, you know, Chavis or certainly Dahlbeck, I think, is a better option. I think he's a better version of that player uh, all around. Uh, it, it, much more athletic than, than Akami is, actually, as well. Yeah. The la- last couple seasons, the Red Sox have been deploying that platoon at first base when healthy. Um and so if Akmi uh, 
doesn't get picked and is still with the Red Sox, do you think that they could deploy that again with two first basemen, he being one of the platoons? Or do you think it would be better for the roster construction for them to have some one player full-time at first base uh, and use kind of that platoon elsewhere or that just roster spot elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, they certainly they certainly could do that. But here's, here's one of the things that, um, to me, is uh, sort of one of the factors in, in my thinking is we know that Bloom and particularly the Rays have always targeted versatile um, position players. That if they're guys that are sort of on the cusp but aren't everyday guys um, or there's some questions and they're young, they tend to carry a few guys that can fit a few different positions, a few different roles. And I just think that guys like Chatham and Dahlbeck fit that more so, or even Chavis for that matter, um, more so than Akami, who's just very much DH, first base only. Um, I think Boston could be tough on a guy like that. I really think that he'd have to, he'd have to, you know, hook on with like a, a bad second division <laughs> sort of team, like a last place team. I think that's the opportunity that Akami could potentially have. Um, and I thought I think it sort of speaks volumes about the type of guys that Bloom will target and will utilize um, that Akami wasn't protected. You know, because um, I'm not sure that necessarily a year ago that wouldn't necessarily have been the case. But that's why, you know, I, I'm kind of stumping for Dahlbeck here, and I think that Chatham will have, um, you know, some some value as well, just simply because he's so strong defensively uh, up the middle at short, can fit some second base, and he's you know he's he's got the ability to play some third as as well. Yeah, and so uh, we talked about Chavis a couple times, and he had, well, obviously wasn't part of the Rule Five or anything. But what do you think his role is with the Red Sox? Uh, is he there? starting second baseman or do you think that uh, kind of as you mentioned they'll move him around to a whole bunch of different places just to get him on the diamond and yeah you know um i think it's going to be first base or second base with with chavis i i i don't know if he'll be in left at all it depends upon who gets traded out of the outfield and who's sticking around um third base is probably for me is devers and if if devers isn't playing it's going to be it's going to be dahlbeck um or chatham so I think it's, you know, potentially second base, depending upon how they view that position defensively. If they're and I would imagine they're going to be pretty data driven and, and, and you know, that's a, a, a position that's been very devalued in terms of as long as you have a decent glove and, and, and OK actions, um, they're OK sticking you there. It's kind of become the new left field first base. <laughs> of the modern era, you know, you don't see a lot of great defenders and they kind of hide guys there at second base. Um, and with positioning, they can make them look better than they are. Um, so I think I think Chavis could be second, or it's going to be first base, um, and they could move guys like Dahlback and Chavis and, and and Chatham sort of around the di- diamond. I think that's the other guy that's sort of in the mix there too is Marco Hernandez as well. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's first base or second base for me with Chavis. They're going to want his bat in the lineup. Um, He's got a ton of power. You know, it's just a matter of him continuing to refine the approach and, and uh, his plate discipline. And if that ticks up a little bit, um, I think the overall numbers and uh, value to the team uh, will go up as well. Ralph, I want to ask you real quick um, about Chavis in left field. He was going to play a little bit of left field this winter, but, you know, due to injury, he didn't actually get a chance to do that. Um, do you see him or Dahlbeck being more suited to left field? I know you've talked about Dahlbeck's athleticism in the past, so I'm yeah. just curious as to. What I think you it's think Dahlbeck there. because Dahlbeck, to me, um, has the better hands. I think he moves better in the, in the field. His reaction off the ball is good, which is why he's a pretty good defender in third. And the other part of it, too, is he's got a plus arm. Um, this is a guy that was, you know, a closer uh, during his time with the University of Arizona when they made a deep run. Hates um, pitching, though. Hates yeah. it. <laughs> he doesn't like pitching, uh, which is why, you know, he's, he's pursued as a, as a position player. There were some teams that were on him as a pitcher. Um, but he's still got that arm. He's still got that cannon. It's almost double right. plus. And uh, I think it's the kind of arm that could play from left field and would keep a lot of guys honest. Um, and I think he's got enough range. I think that's one of the things that with Dahlbeck – as I've watched him over the last few seasons and had a lot more exposure to him, is how sort of tall and lean and athletic he is. He's high-waisted, broad-shouldered. Um, he's not sloppy at all, you know. Not that Chavis is, but Chavis is more built like a... Uh, fire hydrant? Like, like, yeah, like a fire <laughs> hydrant or a pit bull. You know, I I've, I think I, I had said before he became the ice horse, like with 
Carabas or whatever who threw that name out there. Um, I was I was touting around that I, I thought he looked like a uh, like a centaur, like he had like the perfect like torso and face for like a centaur, and that's kind of like what his body's like. <laughs> I think I remember some uh, some photoshops floating around. Yeah, that was Kenny some... from Rotoware did that for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I want to switch gears here to the relievers real quick. So sure. one of the guys who was protected was Johan Ibar, who's a really interesting lefty, but. Conversely, one of the guys who I kind of thought was going to be protected was Eduard Bizzardo, and he wasn't. So, like, can you run through that thinking process for me? Why protect Ibar but not protect Bizzardo? Is it just the righty-lefty thing, or what's going on? Um... Yeah, I think that there's there's probably there's more projection in in Ibar just because the fastball is so big. He's so new to pitching. He's only been doing it for a few years, and he's taken well to it. I mean, and, and if you look at the mechanical adjustments, um, one of the things I mentioned is sort of uh, the arm path, and uh, you know he used to sort of short arm the short arm the ball in 2018, and it seems like he's made a conscious effort, and you could see it in progression throughout the season as well with some of the video that we got in the Arizona Fall League, um, he made a concerted effort to make his arm action a little bit longer and to hide the ball a little bit better. He is an extreme athlete, and um, I think that's going to play within his mechanics. It will allow him to make mechanical adjustments as his body moves more fluidly than other people. Um, He's big. He's got the velocity, which is something you can't teach. Just a matter of getting that sort of pitchability feel, and I think sharpening one of his secondaries. And this is a guy that could potentially has the ceiling of being like a high leverage back end of the bullpen nasty piece. Um, where I think Bizarro is more your middle relief guy, your standard middle relief guy, like a solid sixth inning guy. He's not going to be your setup guy. Maybe you know his ceiling is like a seventh inning guy. He does have some oomph in the fastball. It's mid-90s. He drives a ton of ground balls, and his curveball is high spin. Um, but, you know, he's shorter. It's, a, it's max effort. You know, I think there's going to be some injuries. Um, definitely not a starter. Definitely like a one-inning guy for me. So I think a part of it was just the projection in, in Ibar and what maybe the team and Bloom, if you know, as they bring in more, you know, a different approach to pitching and pitching development, maybe they feel they can get a lot more out of Ibar's profile. They feel Bizarro might be a little bit maxed out. So um, it's too so bad because I like Bizarro a lot, but um, we'll see if he goes because I think he's a, a guy that a, a bad team could take a shot on him and give him forty to sixty innings out of the out of the pen this year at the major league level because I think his stuff is ready. Yeah, I think he's likely to be taken too. Um, so is this really our first glimpse as to what Bloom's preferences might be in terms of pitchers? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, I think age probably to a degree um, has something to do with it. Bizarro is uh, is is twenty four. You know, Ibar's still only twenty two, and like I said, you know, he's sort of got all that additional projection and development that's still there. Um, I think it was just a tough call, and they have some arms I think that can fit that role. Um, but they don't have to protect other guys that they had did have to protect. You know, Schwarz obviously on the on the forty man. Travis Lakins is on the forty man. I think Lakins could be a pretty good re- reliever. So maybe they felt they sort of had some redundancy there as well. Okay. Um, before we switch gears here to your actual list, uh, you guys have any closing thoughts on the the guys who were protected here? Not on the guys that were protected, but do you think that the Red Sox will take anybody who is available? in the Rule 5 draft? No. I, you know, I, I probably not. The Rule 5 draft is like, it's impossible, no matter how much I study, it's impossible to know what teams are going to do in the MLB draft with lots of foreshadowing and rumors and everything else. When there's like a, like a, like 3% of that for the Rule 5, it is so hard to know what people are going to do. Um, you know, I know that like J.J. Cooper from Baseball America has been trying to guess like... <laughs> Like 30% of the Rule 5 now for like 15 years, and I don't think he's ever hit it, or maybe like once has. Um, And that's somebody that like actually studies it and talks to teams. So I have no idea what they're going to do in the Rule 5 or if they'll draft anybody. I just don't know, you know. It's the ultimate dart throw. It is, yeah, Yeah. for sure. You know, every so often there's a guy that sneaks out there. Because Muncie was Rule 5 eligible a few years ago, wasn't he? Yeah, 
Can you was. imagine how many teams could have had Max Muncy? <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty nice with that first base, second base, you know, power He's bat. what the Red Sox need. <laughs> yeah. Legitimately, <laughs> like, if there's, like, one player in baseball where I was like, you know, you don't have to give up too much, but you could get this guy back in return, I'd be like, Max Muncy. The yeah. Red Sox could use Max Muncy because he could fit so many different roles that they do potentially need, you know? Absolutely. So let's get to this list. Um, I personally really enjoyed this list. I thought you did a great job on it, so props. Um, but, I, you know, we got to give the listeners what they've been waiting for, the big prize here. The top ten of this list uh, I thought in particular was, was very interesting um, and in, in a good way for sure. Um, Tristan Costas is number one on your list. Bobby Dahlbeck, number two. Brian Mata, number three. Jay Grom. Or groom? I don't know. Can you clarify on how we say that? We've been saying it both ways for years. I say Jay Groom. Jay Groom. Okay. I'm going with that from now on. Uh, Gilberto Jimenez, Jaron Duran, favorite of Keaton, Noah Song, Matthew Lugo, Thad Ward, and Tanner Houck. Uh, but I noticed you guys have been saying Tanner Hawk too. So what's the, what's the right way on that? Uh, you probably shouldn't ask me on pronunciations. <laughs> I, I've, said, I've said Hawk. That's what I've... I've heard for a few years, but um, yeah, I mean, it could be Hawk. I mean, I have. It, we'll see. I, I I said Devers and Devers, like depending upon where <laughs> where I saw uh, Devers over the course of a few years, because PA guys still screw up names. Um, so yeah, don't 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 quote me on any of that. All right, we won't we won't ask you about that, but I will ask you about the guys that you ranked here. Sure. Um, number one, Tristan Casas. No surprises here. Um, definitely the number one prospect in the system, yeah. and I think just about everybody agrees with that. My question for you, um, because we have talked about him since he's the number one prospect a number yep. of times, is where does he rank for you in the game? Because I know you follow prospects kind of across the game as well. Yeah. Is he right behind Andrew Vaughn in terms of first base prospects in this game, or is is there a little bit of a gap there, and is there somebody in the middle? Because he's somebody, I think, when we look at the few guys in the system who you can really dream on for their role when they come up with the Red Sox, Tristan Casas is pretty much the most exciting guy there. Yeah, I think so. There's a couple other guys that I think maybe have um, slightly higher upside, but it's more because of like defensive profile, um, probably less from like a fantasy baseball standpoint. Um, but yeah, when we're looking at first base prospects in the game at the moment, it's Vaughn for me. It's Nate Lowe, uh, who I believe is still. Oh no, he might have. He actually passed limits, didn't he? So I guess I Lowe isn't did. any longer. Evan White from the Mariners, I think, is a guy that's going to be tremendous once he gets up to the major league level. Um, he's excellent defensively, really athletic, can play a little bit of outfield if if they need be. Can run a little bit, and. Um, I think his power numbers have been dulled a little bit about with excuse me a little bit by the parks that he's been in. Um, I think it was Arkansas where they play like significantly uh, dulls um, lefty power. So you know he's a guy that probably I'd have a little bit ahead of um, Cash at the moment, um, but could see him sort of getting to that point. Um, excuse me, righty power. I meant to say righty power. Um, and uh, I guess I guess the other guy that's probably in the mix there f- right now, but he's really been moved over to second base, is Michael Bush from the Dodgers. I loved him when he was down the Cape. Um, but yeah, I mean he's he's a he's top five, top three at that position at the moment. Um, I'm always sort of a stickler, stickler to 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 throw a sixty on a first base only guy, especially somebody who's first base only and has some of these body concerns at 19. So that's why he's a 55 ceiling to me. But um, there aren't many 60 uh, first basemen in the game, like all around. Um, but I think he could be, you know, a 60 or a 70 sort of fantasy prospect just because the power is a, it's a, it's double plus raw power. Um, outside of the juice ball leagues, I think in, you know, A ball, uh, he had, A ball or lower, he had the highest estimated fly ball distance. There might have been one other guy in double A, but it was pretty much, he was like top three non juice ball, triple A, PCL environments in terms of estimated fly ball distance on our site. You can go check that out on Miners Graphs. We actually have leaderboards for estimated fly ball distance for the last two years. You can compare and contrast, see who's actually added some 
shameless plug right there. But um, there aren't many lefty power bats that have that sort of power. I think, you know, what your dream is here is that eventually at the plate, he sort of turns into a Freddie Freeman that has, you know, good plate discipline, plus hit tool, plus plate, you know, uh, or on base ability, massive power to all fields and can be, you know, a three or four hitter for, you know, a generation in your lineup. Um, and I don't, I, I think it's possible. I think that's, that's a reasonable expectation to have on a guy like Cassius, who's just, you know, a, a tremendous power threat, um, has the body and certainly seems to put the, the work in, um, in the background just in terms of working on his swing, cage time, video, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, for me, he's, he's the safest prospect, uh, to have an impactful major league future in the system at the moment. Now, Ralph, you've been covering the, the system of the Red Sox for years and obviously been involved as a fan for even longer than that. But um, Red Sox have had an outstanding record at developing and having great success rates with position players. And we've seen that in their m- most recent World Series run as well with all the homegrown guys that they had. Um, but what is it that you think the Red Sox do such a good job of on the position player side, kind of finding and developing these guys? I mean, we talk so much about how poor they are at developing pitching, but I think they're just as good uh, on, on the position player side, the opposite yeah. spectrum. I think, you know, one of the things I've seen throughout um, really Henry's ownership at this point, we'll focus on that, and throughout a few different administrations here. Is there sort of a standard in terms of what their process is, the way their parks are, um, the types of athletes and hitters that they tend to chase? And that philosophy can alter a little bit. But by and large, um, they've done a pretty good job of the first five rounds targeting guys with um, some um, understanding of the strike zone and, and counts and pitch recognition um so they sort of have that to fall back on um as they develop sort of that ability to understand sequencing and you know putting the bat in the ball which is something that doesn't come naturally necessarily to everyone um but i think all around uh even guys that have now matriculated up to the majors and been you know impactful major leaguers a guy like jackie bradley jr who maybe isn't the greatest hitter but i think you know he always had that approach to fall back on very early um, in his time, then in some major league run. And I think they've had a lot of those guys where, like, the Baltimore Orioles under, like, Dan Duquette were, like, the complete opposite. Every single one of these guys, and now it's sort of changing, but they have so many prospects with, like, Mancini and, like, all these guys that just have no approach, and it's all, like, power at the point of contact and aggressive approach, and it doesn't necessarily play. Um, I think they target a certain type of guy in mentality, and it's almost a cerebral approach as a hitter. Um I don't know if there's some measurements and readings that they focus on with that stuff, but they they tend to find uh, guys that know how to hit. So I think it's a big part of it, and uh, certainly kudos to the coaching staff and uh, their job developing all these guys as players because they've done a good job. How difficult was it to place Noah Song on this list? And without the looming potential of a deferment, um, would he have been higher on this list or where would (laughs) he have fallen? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, because I think that – you can make a case that he's like four or five uh, if the deferment um, goes through, you know. So there's there's a chance that he he moves up, and um, I think there's a real chance that he could, especially as Dullback probably graduates, um, and depending upon what Jake Groom does this season, there's a chance that he could he could rock it up to. Um, you know, two or three on this list, uh, especially if like Brian Mata struggled at AAA. Um, like I said, Groom didn't pitch well. Dahlback graduates. Um, <laughs> there's even the chance that Jimenez at the full season level struggles a little bit. And, you know, he's squarely your number two after after Tristan Cassius. Um, the ability's there. The arsenal's deep enough. Um, he's he's a an, an unusual talent and could be a real boom for this system if uh, he does potentially get the deferment that I think the Navy's reviewing at the moment. It's It seems like this Premier 12 tournament was really great for Jay and Bloom and his or uh, High and Bloom and his um, you know potential prospect stock for some of these guys because Dahlbeck yeah. lit the world on fire there and then Song kind of opened up a lot of eyes with the 
Velo, he was throwing too. I mean, do you think that tournament helped out the Red Sox a little bit? Yeah, it certainly didn't hurt, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think Song helped out a lot there, and hopefully some of that notoriety allows him to um, get that deferment cleared. Um, yeah. Because it's a little unusual. He's different than sort of your regular private or someone who's just sort of in, um, you know, has a normal commitment. He's in Naval Flight School, which is, you know, it's not the Navy SEALs, but it's it's a special forces unit, and, you know, it's the best of the best. It's an elite force, and, you know, to get out of that commitment, it's a little bit different. Um, and the other part of it is they did change the rules back in terms of the deferment. Um, he had already been drafted and signed a professional contract um, prior to that uh, that rule change. So that's why he has to, he's a special case and has to go in front of sort of a review board. And I believe that's taking place right now. So any day that that news could drop, um, and if he gets it, man, he's gonna he's gonna shoot up first year player draft lists for your fantasy leagues, and he's certainly gonna shoot up uh, a lot of just regular prospect lists because the talent is immense. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, so I, I want to talk about starters here a little bit. You know, I, I, I talked a little bit about how the, the Sox have had some trouble developing these guys over time. But now for the first time, when I look at this list, I see a lot of guys who I could actually envision having a starter's role here. Yeah. Brian Mata, Jake Room, um, Noah Song, maybe even Thad Ward. But I want to go through here. And out of your top 30 here, how many of these guys do you realistically, let's just say, greater than 60% chance of being a starting pitcher in the major leagues. How many of those guys do you think the Red Sox truly have at this point? Um, here, so we'll go right through. Um, Mata, I think, has a greater than 60% chance just with his ability to miss bats and drive ground balls at an elite rate. Um, <laughs> Groom is a tough one, um, just because his floor is probably even lower than what I graded it at. Um, I know I was talking to Groom a little bit, uh, talking Groom a little bit with uh, Chris Blessing from Baseball HQ. Um, I always try to bounce grades and I, you know ideas and stuff off Chris as he's a veteran in this and um, has worked for some major league teams, so he can give me good perspective. And um, you know I want to say Groom. I'm just going to throw Groom out there too because I just think the package is right there and the, the improvement of the the changeup um, really impressed me. I think Song, as long as he gets the deferment, is probably right there as well. Um, Ward is probably a starter for me too. Um, you know, Tanner Hawk is definitely a reliever. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any question there. Um, Aldo, I don't know how much his stuff plays up in the bullpen that remains to be seen, but he's a guy that could be a starter as well. Zephyr Han to me is a reliever. Um, Chris Murphy, I think is really interesting. I, I love Chris. I talked with Chris uh, a lot, um, making this list and throughout the season, I kind of, was able to develop a, a relationship a little bit with him while he was, you know, at his time with, with Lowell. And um, I'm a big fan. He could potentially have be thrown five pitches next year. And I think if the development of that cutter comes along and he is able to add a few more ticks to the fastball and just um, some of the approach changes from, you know, his college focus in terms of sequencing to um, his professional focus with sequencing where San Diego, University of San Diego, wanted him to throw the ball low. And it led to a lot of control issues because it didn't tunnel well with his breaking ball and his changeup. Um, once he, the, the Red Sox he came into the system, they said, we want you to throw your four-seamer high. Velocity kicked up. It's got good spin on it, and it really, really tunnels well with the changeup uh, as well as his breaking balls. And he's going to be able to have this, this, this cutter that he could sort of work on, on, on the hands uh, to lefties as well. I think it's going to make you know a huge difference. He could be a guy that has you know five different shapes, can move up, down, right, and left in the zone. Um, that's a guy that could that could make you know tremendous uh, uh, improvements, and I think could still be a starter. I think, you know, once you get down to guys like Bellow, there's a lot of questions, but, and then everybody else from that point on for me is um, probably a reliever with the exception of like Kyle Hart. Um, so, 
Yeah, there's there's a handful. I think there's more <laughs> there's more pitching talent uh, right now in the system than there's been for a long time, and a lot of it is rooted in um, that 2017 uh, international class as well as this most recent draft where they did a really good job of adding a lot of arms. Even some guys they didn't sign, like uh, local kid Sebastian Keene, who's going to pitch for Northeastern. Um, if they had had you know, a little bit more bonus money, they might have been able to uh, convince him to sign. So I think they did a good job of targeting good arms and uh, some guys that could make some improvements here in pro ball. So I'm, I'm really optimistic about the arms right now. Not a starter, but one of the uh, talented pitchers that we, we thought was uh, on a fast track to the majors, Durbin Feldman had himself a disaster of a year last year. Mm. Where do you kind of sit with him, and do you think – that he still has a chance to to kind of make a leap to the majors quickly, or do you think that his development is really kind of taking a hit? Um, yeah, you know, I think he still can. I think, and I wrote about it a little bit in the write-up, um, and I was wrong about it. I was in this camp, but I think too many people saw what he did, were familiar with his track record at TCU, and just expected him to come in, push, and make this, you know, very fast ascension to the Red Sox bullpen. And, you know, for some of the more um, hyperbolic sort of comments about it, he was like the heir apparent to Craig Kimbrell. And it's a lot of pressure to put on a guy coming out of college ball. Um, And we've seen this time and time again with a lot of these relief-only prospects. These guys don't get to the majors as quickly as people think they will. Zach Birdie now is granted he's had a lot of injuries, but same thing, you know. Um, and they're not as effective on the big league level as quickly as people think. Um, you know, even guys that had bullpen pasts, um, like a Dylan Tate uh, or, or Carson Fulmer, um, you know, haven't been able to, to make the jump there. So, um, you know, I think there's some other things rooted here, some improvements that needed to be made, stuff that we are sort of overlooked. One would be in sort of his, you know, inconsistent um, mechanics. And he sort of had the opposite issue that I just mentioned with Chris Murphy. He was a guy that was really effective at TCU, working low in the zone with his fastball and pairing that with uh, a really unique breaking ball. I wouldn't call it a curve. I wouldn't call it a slider. I wouldn't call it a slurve. But it's it's got curveball 12-6 sort of break because of his um, it's over the very over-the-top arm slot. Uh, but he throws it with a slider grip. So it does have sort of some two-play movement and a little bit of tail at the end there. It's a really good pitch low in the zone. Um, the Red Sox asked him to throw a little bit higher, which is something that you'll – they did the same thing with Tanner Hawk, and it didn't work in 2018, and he sort of reverted back to what he had done at Missouri. Maybe it's something similar that happens with Feltman, or maybe he makes that jump in the offseason. He finds some comfort, works with somebody, Bloom or whoever, you know, um, in terms of their actual pitching development folks, makes some alter, alterations, some adjustments – and he's able to sort of find a comfort level, I think he's a guy that could make a tremendous jump and could impact the Major League team in the next couple of years still. I just think we had to pump the brakes a little bit and allow this guy to develop. Baseball is funny like that, you know, um, especially pitching, where so much of it, um, I think from a um, projection standpoint and a a ranking standpoint and a grading standpoint, comes down to stuff. Um, We're really the most important part of pitching is pitchability, feel, command, the ability to sequence. Um, It's all that stuff that makes pitchers, and it's why so many guys with great stuff that are these elite pitching prospects don't prosper at the major league level, but maybe a guy like Shane Bieber or Chris Paddock is able to um, so quickly sort of get up to speed and be really effective. Um, Jake Jake DeGrom is another guy that was kind of like that, wasn't a top pitching prospect, but he has that elite feel and then you could kind of work on adding the stuff. If you know how to pitch, you know how to shape pitches, and you know um, that innate ability to, to control the ball and the spin and hit your spots, um, it's just not something that everyone can learn. Um, and I think that's the, that's the thing when it comes to pitching and projection, we get so freaking wrong over and over and over again. You know, we don't focus on that, and we focus on the fact that he's got, like, like Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright has, like, the best stuff, some of the best stuff I saw this year at any level. Um, But the guy has, like, no idea how to sequence, and often, like, he misses his spots, and he just throws a 96-mile-per-hour fastball with 2,500 spin. Great. Awesome, right? Center cut. Well, it doesn't matter. I saw Brock Holt hit a 
freaking 96 mile per hour fastball down the middle, you know, over the fence in, in Pawtucket in a rehab stint. I don't think any of us would say that Brock Holt is any sort of, um, <laughs> I guess he has been an all-star, but true all-star caliber hitter. So um, when it comes down to it, I think, you know, long story short, Feltman is a guy that just needs to develop the feel, control, sequencing side of it. But stuff's all there, man. It's just a matter of whether it clicks or not. Before we move on from the top 10, I know, Keaton, you had a question about uh, the top two outfielders in the system, Gilberto and Jaron Duran. So you want to just hit on that before we move on? I did, yeah. Um, obviously, there's a lot of hype about Duran and his performance in the first half of the season uh, last year. I was curious, uh, what did you see in Jimenez to put him just slightly above Duran uh, in, yeah, in sure. your list? Um I love Gilberto Jimenez. He might be um, one of my favorite players in the system, if not my most favorite player. And I think the reason for that is I can see an outcome for uh, Jimenez where he adds a little bit more power. Uh, He develops his ability just in terms to read the ball off the bat in center field and could be like an up-the-middle stud a guy that is a plus center fielder that can hit at the top of your lineup can provide base stealing ability contact can work you know can work counts um and i just don't see duran as much as i do like him as a player and was really high on him when i first saw him in 2018 out of the draft in lowell um it you know sort of ranted about how solid he was um gilberto jimenez is one of the fastest baseball players i've ever seen he's a true 80 runner from both sides of the plate Constantly, He's a switch hitter. Um, it's a contact approach. It's an inside-out swing. He looks to go the other way um, and, you know, make some plays with his wheels. He started to drive the ball a little bit more later in the season and put the ball in the air to his pull side a few more times. I didn't see it a ton, but he did. Um, and I know that that's something that uh, some of his teammates who I had talked with throughout the top 30 process just really think that he can unlock that. And I don't think it's ever going to be. It's not 20 homer power, but... You know, I think he can get into double digits and just be dangerous enough. Um, but a lot of it's going to be his ability to shoot the gaps and put balls in the corners and then, you know, put pressure on the defense with his elite, like, double-plus speed. He's one of the fastest runners in baseball right now. Um, and the funny thing is that Chris Murphy actually said it to me a few times. He's like, Jimenez doesn't even know how fast he is yet, um, which is dangerous. So I, I love Jimenez. He's a guy that's made tremendous – um, strides, especially when you consider how little money he signed for. I think it was like $10,000 a couple of years ago. Um, he's a guy that I think can be a top 100 prospect for a few years and could potentially develop into, um, you know, what the Red Sox need, an elite athlete in center field. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's an outcome where he can become like a switch-hitting Jacoby Ellsbury type. It seemed like every time I went to Lowell, I only saw him hit from the left side, but I've heard that his swing from the right side is quite a bit different. So can you talk about how those are developing right now? Yeah. Um, you know, it's still it's still an inside-out approach to me. Um, I think it's just a little bit more in terms of how, like, natural, natural it is. Um, but I don't feel that he's any more, like, pull-friendly from one side or the other. Um I don't feel one's more geared toward power than the other one is at this point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, because of just the amount of right-handed uh, pitchers you're going to see in the New York right. Penn League, you're just going to see him hit lefty more often. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to me, the, the contact, the outcomes were just, they were all pretty much the same, you know, at, at this point. But he's young, and uh, I think a lot of that can develop. And um, his contact ability is, is very good for uh, – a player as, as young as he is, I, I'm I'm really just um, high on Jimenez, and I think he's I think he's a guy that, uh, in a lot of ways, is um, taking that spot that Antonio Flores was sort of uh, unable to uh, <laughs> fill this season after I thought he would. You know, he looked so yeah. good last year in in Instructs, um, and Jimenez did as well, but he was definitely more raw at the plate, and it seems like he's taken. Um, tremendous strides but yeah in terms of like the you know the actual swing on both sides i'd have to pull up the video in terms of breaking down where the hands are um but i think that the setup you know it's not all that different and like i said ultimately it's it's the same sort of contact he's making 
All right. Well, that's what we call a good segue there to get to the uh, the the 11 through 20 prospects. Um, he has C.J. Chatham, Cameron Cannon, Aldo Ramirez, Ryan Zephyrjohn, Nick Decker, Brandon Howlett, Chris Murphy, Brian Bayo, Marcus Wilson, and Anthony Flores. Um, two guys I want to ask you about right off the bat, and you talked about Anthony Flores just briefly there, but. The two guys on this list that every time I went to Lowell, um, I just saw really bad performances from um, because their seasons were really bad for the most part. Uh, Cameron Cannon and Anthony Flores. You had Cameron as high as 12 on your list. Um, Anthony Flores all the way down at 20, which I think if you told me he was going to be 20th ranked prospect in the system uh, at the beginning of last season, I would have thought you were crazy. Um, so <laughs> tell me about both what you like about Cannon, why you think he struggled, and then Anthony Flores, what the hell's going on, man? This guy was supposed to be the truth, and he's he had a really, really bad year. Mm. Yeah, so Cannon's a guy for me that um, he's always hit, and, and, and I have some history having watched Cannon uh, down the Cape in um, 2018. I saw a fair amount of him, and he hit well. I was impressed with the hit tool. I think it's, you know, 50-50 in terms of, like, you know, a 50-hit tool, 50-power. I think that ability is there. Um, He's probably a utility guy for me, but it's more of a bat-first utility as opposed to Chatham, who, unless he develops power, which is possible, um, he's more of a glove-first guy. Um, But I think there's a a major league role for Cannon, which is a big part of it. The other thing with Cannon and why he struggled, he made a lot of hard contact when I saw him this year. Um, Anthony Franco, who's on our team as well, um, when he caught Cannon in different different games, it was similar. A lot of hard contact, just sort of bad uh, luck on balls in play. Um, but he's a guy that's that's hit, you know, all throughout his uh, collegiate career at Arizona. He was a solid hitter, um, and, and I just think it's going to continue. He's played a lot, a lot of baseball over the last like eighteen months. I mean, this is a guy that went from college season to the Cape. To fall, you know, to fall ball, probably had like a month or so off. University of Arizona, um, you know, in the lineup every day, gets drafted, signs with the Red Sox, gets sent out to short season. And, um, you know, some guys, sometimes guys are just a little bit worn down, especially when they have to play, you know, a demanding role in the field at short or second base or third base. Um, I don't know. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to trash the guy too much. And I think that, you know, what I've seen from him as an amateur was enough to me uh, to put him up here as high as 12. Um, but I think that, you know, within this list, there's just there's a lot of I mean, anything from pretty much 11 to like 21, you could just throw it in the air. And however it landed, I'd probably be pretty much fine with, um, you know. And as for Flores, uh, you know, guys that are ahead of him, Wilson is on the 40 man. Um, you got some of these talented arms that I think are valuable. I'm a big, a big Brandon Howlett guy. Um, I just think there's a ton of power at the point of contact. Uh, you know, he was inconsistent, but I think when you think about how aggressive they were with some of the other guys that were drafted rounds ahead of them, not only in the Red Sox, but other teams that really kind of got their first taste of short season. And this kid spent the entire year in a full season level. Um, I'm just higher on him than I am on Flores right now. Um, you know, Decker is a guy that produced a lot more with the bat. But Flores, for me, um, was just built a little bit differently than he actually is. I think everyone was trying to, like, play this guy up to be, like, a five-tool asset that he's going to be able to run. And he's a really good defensive shortstop. Um, everything I saw in Lowell this year, I, none of my opinions changed there. If anything, it, it sort of cemented my feeling. Um, Jason Panini, you know, now with the Minnesota Twins, we caught a few games uh, in July when, when Jason was home. Um and, you know, he had saw Flores at instruction, was really high on Flores. And we kind of still feel the same way. The funny thing with him is his body's, like, maxed out. <laughs> he's built like Xander Bogarts, like, now. Like, not not young Xander Bogarts. He's, like, Xander Bogarts in, like, 2018, 2019's body. That's what Flores has now. He's a below-average runner, so there's no speed to his game, which I think, until he develops power, which I do think can still happen. He just needs to make a few more adjustments to the plate. He needs to refine his plate approach. Uh, and realize the pitches that he can drive and stay away from the stuff that he can't and he's going to roll over on. Um, I still think there's some offensive upside there. I wouldn't completely tank this kid. I don't think he had, you know, I'm not going to say he's terrible. The prospect stock is is done. No, I just think we have to, once again, another guy, you got to pump the brakes on a little bit, and we got to be a little bit more patient with his bat because the glove is good. And if he's 
not an everyday shortstop. I think he'd be an everyday third baseman. It's just a matter of him hitting for contact and power. He's never going to be a speed guy, you know. So it, it sort of has to be like a Johnny Peralta kind of a profile or something like that, maybe with a little bit better glove. But um, there's some positives to take away from Flores this year, I think, at Lowell. There's some negatives to take away from him, certainly with a bat. Um, but I wouldn't say that you should be off this guy entirely. Uh, Follow-up to, to Flores. One of the things I m- noticed with him every time I saw him was that he was late on a tremendous amount of fastballs this yeah. year. Um, when do you, as an evaluator, start to get concerned that there are maybe some more serious bat-to-ball skills, hit-dual concerns um, in a guy's development? Like when, when do you start to kind of notice those red flags and think, all right, maybe it's not just him being rushing or being overwhelmed or you know swinging at bad pitches? Like, when does that happen for you? Um, I think once they've had like a year and a half at the full season level, it's okay. really hard to judge that, especially with yeah. a guy so young. Because for me, I agree, but I've you know he was he was he was caught in between is what it was. I think that he has such a, a tough time with breaking balls, which is why he's overtly um, you know passive at times. He's another one of those guys that he takes too much stuff, which is why his walk rate was pretty good, but his strikeout rate was really high, and he didn't have an insane swing and strike rate. I'm looking at it right now; it was 12.9 percent, which for short season level for a 19 year old. That's not terrible, especially considering a lot of these guys you see in the New York Penn League are college guys with advanced sequencing and at least like some oomph on the fastball and and FU breaking ball, you know, so they can get guys out like that. Um, I think he was caught in between, and I think that a lot of it just comes down to that approach for me. He's got the bat speed. If If you check out some of his BPs, he still knows how to drive the ball. He's got a quick enough bat and quick enough hands. Um that I don't think it's a matter of him having, like, a slow bat. It's not like A.J. Reed, where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all, like, power at the point of contact. He just doesn't have the bat speed. Flores is the bat speed, and I think he can continue to develop that. It's just a matter of he doesn't know what the hell is coming half the time, and he doesn't have that, like, Louis Robert, like, alien bat speed where he can (laughs) guess on a pitch, like, two feet out from, from his hands and all of a sudden get around on it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just think it's a matter of him refining the approach and his eye, and maybe that doesn't come, but I want to give him a little bit of time. Um, so I would say, if like, 2021, if he's still struggling, like Salem, with, you know, and he's caught in between still, and you still see some of those numbers where the swing and strike rate isn't bad, walk rate's high, and the strikeout rate's still high, and he's not hitting for a lot of impact, that's where I would really become concerned with Flores. All right. Um, last guy I want to ask you about in this uh, top 20, and then I'll turn it over to Keaton to see if he's got any more. Um, but um, Decker. Decker, every time I went, I feel like Decker hit some absolute tanks. Um, I was at a game. I can't remember when it was, but he had two shots over uh, right field, over the wall, that were just absolutely destroyed. And um, I liked his approach. Um, I liked the power that he showed. I'm kind of dreaming on Decker a little bit. Talk me, uh, talk me down because I think Decker has something here. Yeah, and I think if this was like a fantasy baseball list, Decker would probably be like ten or eleven. You know, um, that's a corner outfield profile, and he fits it to a T. He's athletic enough to fit into center right now, um, but I think he's a right fielder. The arm is solid. Um, he moves well. Lefty bat with power. There's a lot to dream on there. Um, and from like the point of, a point of contact standpoint, he might have been just about the best on Lowell. I mean, it's a guy that can really drive the ball. Um, overly aggressive at this point, but I think you know I think he can rein some of that in. Um, and he kind of has that like stocky, strong build, not chubby, but he's like you know six foot and stout, and just you know has forearms like a lumberjack, and he's just young sort of trot Nixon. The ball. Yeah, yeah, he's like Trot Trot Nixon um, with like a little bit more of like a Tyler O'Neill element that I think he's just a little bit more like upper body strong, maybe a little bit stiffer than Trot. But yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he can fit that role. He would have been higher on this list. I just I'm I'm a big proponent of not trying, and it's one of the things that I feel like I've learned over the last couple of years with grading players and ranking players. I want to give a guy like some room to struggle and not have to drop him. But also give him a room, like some room to like reward him if he kicks ass. Like if ne- if Decker goes out next year and he kicks ass in Greenville, like dude, I want to put that guy up to like nine, 
And I want to feel like he should be rewarded and he's going to be able to hold that and then continue to move up. And I think that's something that people get so reactionary with rankings all the time. And if you look at, and I've even been guilty of this and you learn, like, I don't, I don't want a guy that I, I, you know, fluctuates like fucking 10 spots for me (laughs) at any point, you know? Um, And I feel like he's a guy that can pass Cannon. He can pass Chatham. He could probably even pass Hawk and Ward um, this year. And certainly some of the other arms. I just think there were guys a little bit safer profiles, a little bit further along. Um, and just in terms of like value to a team at the major league level, which is what I try to focus on with this from, you know, if I own the team or, you know, I'm the GM or I'm the scouting director, how would I rank these guys? And I think guys like Zephyr Han, who could have a relatively, here I go again, put in, you know, false sort of uh, uh, expectations on a player. But I think Zephyr Han can get to the majors pretty quick. And, um, you know, I think Aldo uh, has a nice profile and some nice ceiling to potentially become a back-end starter. There's some upside there, especially considering how young he is, how good a feel he has. And I think there's still some um, projection in the stuff. Yeah, I mean, dude, I like Decker a lot. It's one of the things that I worried about when I put this list out. I'm like, are some people going to read, like, Decker being at 15 the wrong way when, like, I really do like this player. It's just it was, like, 52-card pickup with, like, said about 10 of these guys where it really could have the cards could have fallen anywhere and I, don't, I wouldn't argue with the rank too much but um he's a really solid player i i'm not gonna talk you off of it man because i think you're right i think your reads were right there i think okay. there's a lot to be excited about with decker um yeah i mean he's certainly the better of him in north cut i think the bonus kind of puts that into perspective but like decker and, and and howlett are two guys that i think together could be interesting sort of power prospects socks have a lot of power in the system for the first time in a little a little while yeah. Um, there, speaking of Northcutt, though, there were three notable omissions to your list that I that I that I noticed here. Uh, Northcutt, Pedro Castellanos, and um, what was the other one? Oh, Eduardo uh, Lopez. Uh, Eduardo Lopez, the uh, J two guy. Yep. Um, what was what was the thinking with with just having those guys miss? Was it just you didn't see enough of them, or or what was it with all three of those? I, I know Northcutt struggled quite a bit, and he didn't look very good. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a part of that. Um, it's all a little bit a, a little bit of it. I had I had Lopez like thirty three. I haven't seen Lopez yet, so um, it's hard for me to rank a guy in the top thirty I haven't seen when I've seen so many other players um, in different iterations. Um, Northcutt did make the cut, pun intended. Um, he was 36, and Pedro Castellanos was actually the last guy cut off the list. I put uh, Akami on his, on the list in favor of him just simply because I felt that there was some potential path to major league time, whether with the Red Sox or with another organization this year. So That's um, fair, yeah. Yeah, so that's why they were all really close. Um, yeah. Other guys that just sort of missed the cut there were uh, Joe Martinez uh, from Salem, um, uh, who's a right-hander. Uh, Devlin Granberg, who I really liked with Salem, uh, Salem ugh, with Lowell in 2018, and he wasn't terrible with Salem. Uh, Denny Reyes, Cutter Crawford, who would have been on the list had he not had Tommy John surgery. Um, I loved Felix what I Cepeda. saw from him at Double A. Yeah, and uh, and Brian Gonzalez, who's another DSL kid who had a really good year. Uh, Ching Jung Lu, um, who's an international signing, they signed <laughs> three weeks before I made this list. I haven't seen him. He could be in the list next year. Really talented guy, Ryan Fitzgerald, uh, standout defensive player. Really great story. Guy that came out of indie, indie ball and has has really played up really well. Um, Jax Groshans, um, Yuzanel Pardon Artilis, who was a big name because uh, of some of the performances he had with Lowell. I just don't think the stuff is there personally. He's about forty forty two on this list for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that um, I had some tough decisions in the twenty to thirty range, which is really cool considering the last few years I haven't. <laughs> yeah, definitely speaks to the improved depth of this system. It's way more exciting now. Agree, one hundred percent. All right, so that's a wrap on the system. We really do appreciate this. This was a hell of a, uh, a rundown of the system, a really deep look at what is, in, in I think all of our estimations, a greatly improved system this year for the Red Sox and uh, one that I think will continue to get more interesting under Bloom's leadership. So, Ralph, we, uh, we, we love the work. We appreciate you coming you. on and chatting through your process, and uh, we hope to have you again soon. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm excited. I was excited to come on and uh, have this sort of level of discussion about the Red Sox prospects because nobody in the prospects live chat really wants to talk about the Red Sox and 
talking with other fans here in the Boston Worcester market uh, regarding the system and the way the organization is run is difficult at times just because of uh, maybe the lack of information or narratives that get spit out there on places like the Sports Hub and uh, WEI. So uh, great to talk with some intelligent Red Sox fans and have a higher level conversation. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs> Anytime. It's, it's, uh, it's, our, it's our specialty, right, Keaton? High level conversations? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, and we hope you did, please go on and check out Ralph's work. Uh, We're going to plug him again. It's Prospects Live over there. Uh, And on Twitter, you can find him at Prospect Jesus. Uh, He's a great follow, someone I've been following for years as well. And uh, he's got some good fantasy content, too, if you are into that sort of thing. And, you know, Keaton and I drop some of that every once in a while. So hopefully you are. And, um, yeah, you can follow Keaton and I on Twitter as well. You can follow myself at at DevJake. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. And uh, you can follow the Over the Monster account at at Over the Monster. Uh, so we appreciate you tuning in to this episode, and we'll be with you again in a couple weeks. 